passage very well read a moment ago. Thank you very much for that. I want to show you verse 16. We're going to start at the end. Verse 16 in the NIV. I just prefer the way they do this. And so I want us to all say this together. Next two lessons from this are going to be from this particular passage. We're going to focus on two things, and it's going to involve this verse. Say the verse with me, if you would, together. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. That's the text for the next two times. I want you to say it with me again. Ready? Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. How many of you want to be saved? I think that's good thinking. I'm glad you answered that way. How many of you have some other people in mind you'd like to see saved too? Raise your hand. Okay. If that's true, you better pay attention to this passage. It is the most personal and the most vibrant passage of this entire letter. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's got some concerns. He sees some ingredients in the context that Timothy's in that causes him to go, I need to warn Timothy of something. If, you, if you're thinking of an audio version of this passage, there needs to be a siren in the background. You know how you sound the alarm before the trouble gets there because the ingredients are there? That's what this passage is. And he says, Timothy... This is a life or death, spiritually, life or death situation that you're in. Watch your life closely, Timothy. And then watch your doctrine closely, Timothy. Watch it closely because you need to if you're going to be saved and any of your hearers. I don't know who your hearers are, but I can tell you about who some of mine are. I mean, obviously you are, but my kids, I'm very interested I'm very sober-minded about influencing my kids to be saved. So I need to pay attention to this passage. And if you want your kids to be right with God, then you need to pay attention to this passage. And if you have family members, and if you have co-workers, and if you have people that you love dearly who've never responded to God, or maybe they have, but you want to sustain that, then listen, you better watch your life and your doctrine closely. Two things you got to pay attention to, and by the way, I would... I would reference this as watch, keep your eyes on two things. you got to watch two things for this. One is your life, one is your doctrine. Your doctrine is what you believe. You need to know what this is. It's not some cold word that just like, or it's just some kind of something people argue about. All Your doctrine is what you really believe. It's the way you see the world. It's what you think and know is right. Even people who don't believe in God, they have a doctrine in their head that guides them. And I love what he says. He says, your, your, your doctrines, follow, you follow after your doctrines. Your doctrines determine how you're going to live. What you think how you view the world, what you believe and know is right. All that is in your head. It shapes everything that you do. And the most important thing is this. Make sure that the doctrine that's guiding your mind, that's guiding your thoughts, causing you to evaluate things, make sure that doctrine squares with God's truth. It's got to sync with each other. Your doctrine Your guiding thoughts in your head must sync with God's truth. Now, here's a statement that is shocking to Americans. It's shocking to me to hear, but I want you to think about this. There are some people who will be lost 
just because they believe something wrong. True or false? They may, have, they may be good citizens and they may treat people respectfully, but there could be people who will be lost simply because they believe something that's a lie, something that's not true. Our beliefs matter. In our world, that doesn't happen. People don't think that, but it's true. That's why he says, don't just watch your life closely. Watch your doctrine and persevere in both of them. What you believe matters. It shapes everything that you do. So pay attention. Pay attention to what's in your brain. Pay attention to what you're thinking. Pay attention to how you respond to things with the words you use and the actions that you take. Somebody save her. Watch it. Save herself and her hearers. Watch your brain. It's like what goes on in your head matters a great deal. And Paul tells them, I want you to watch it close. I want you to pay close attention. And it's a little bit of a weird warning for me, it seems, to Timothy, because Timothy is a guy who's known these scriptures all his life, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Do you remember who he learned the scriptures from? Anybody remember? His mother and his grandmother for years. And it says from childhood. And the word means from infancy on, he's been taught the holy scriptures. And they're able to make you wise for salvation. Timothy knows this. And then he's apprenticed with Paul. He's gone on some of the best preaching tours in the world. He's heard the best preaching in the entire world more than once from Paul over and over again. He should be ingrained in the truth, right? You should be so sound that he cannot be disrupted. But Paul says, I'm concerned, Timothy, about your ingredients in your context. I want you to watch very closely, Timothy. No one is immune from having their doctrine tainted. No one is immune. What is so dangerous? Now, this is important because, y'all, if Timothy needs to watch his doctrine closely, don't we? Isn't that a danger for us? Aren't we in a setting where we could fall prey to things that are lies and absolutely be taken by surprise, right? Because our doctrine, well, we, we know what it is. Guys, you've been in Bible class all your life. From cradle roll, is that what they call it? I don't even know what cradle roll. From cradle roll all the way up to adult Bible classes and songs, sermons, treatments of scripture from preachers and surly you at least remember some of that all that and yet even with all that Paul says to Timothy I want you to pay careful close attention to your brain keep an eye on what's floating in your brain watch your life and doctrine closely he says to him there's some false doctrine going around in Ephesus and here's what he says in verse 6 if you put these things before the brothers if you put my truth that you know before the brothers you'll be a good servant of Christ but listen the opposite is true Timothy if you're not preaching this if you're not putting this before the people if you're not defending this and promoting this you're going to lose this you either use it or you lose it and that's true of your muscles it's true of your brain it's true of your doctrine he goes on to say, you're being trained in the words of the faith. You know that you never are fully trained. The most experienced Christian in here, you're never fully trained to where you don't need further training. You never get there. 
Even as smart as Lois Smith is over here, she's nodding her head. Yeah, you, you are all constant. It's, it's a present tense. You're constantly being trained, y'all. We're being trained every Sunday. This is not just worship. It is that. It's not just worship. This is training for us. We're being trained in the words of God. Now, n- notice what he said. Who's the trainer? He says, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you followed. You're being trained right now by the word of God. God, by his words going out, go into your heart, and they, and they form the substance of the doctrine in your head. That's where your beliefs come from. That's where your worldview is. So why is this a danger? Because there are distractions in the world. There are alternatives being offered that sound eerily close to the truth, but they're not. The most crucial battle of the Christian life takes place in your brain. The key to faithfulness is in your head. Spiritual battles are doctrinal battles because here's Satan's ammo. Here is what Satan will do. His bullets have nothing to do with gunpowder, have nothing to do with pulling triggers. His bullets are lies. And he shoots them out there into the world and they land somewhere. People take them, that lodges in their hearts, it lodges in their minds, and then they live their lives by those lies, and that leads them in the wrong direction. You've been raised in truth. You know the truth. It's in your head. But listen, those lies are out there, and he's constantly shooting them at us. And sometimes, Christians, church, it lands even in our hearts, too. If he can get you to alter the truth just a little bit. He can turn your entire direction. Satan's good at this. And the church is showing signs of this. Can I tell you, here's the thing. What he's trying to do is get you to lose confidence that God's word is enough. He's trying to get you to lose confidence that really we can answer everything that the world says to us with Scripture and be standing on good ground because these things are true. And here's, here's the thing that makes those, those lies so subtle. You ready? It's, it's, it's a list of them. I just want to provide. Number one, they sound reasonable. These things sound reasonable. Some of the lies are so compelling and they appeal to our baser natures that we actually go, you know what, I can, that kind of sounds reasonable. I've heard this from people. I, I've used this example a lot, but it's like these people who live together before marriage and they'll say to you, they'll say to you, this is a great experiment. This is a great way to know whether we're compatible or not. And you know what, that resonates with me. That makes total sense. It's just against Scripture. Sorry, I can't, I can't alter that. And you can say, well, but, 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 but don't, why are you fighting it? Why are you fighting what's so clear? It cannot be spiritual if it is not biblical. It can't. You can't argue that point at all. Secondly would be this. Some of them are so absolutely true in the world that you're made to feel like a heel when you don't go along with it. The world's orthodoxy is set And when you go against it, they are offended, and you are charged with hate speech. This is the way the world works. You go along with this, great. You don't, you swim up against stream, and they don't like it. And then there's there's some of these things that are so like jello that you can't even argue against them. There's no substance to them. I could give you several examples of this, but let me just go into a few of them here. Okay, this is... Powerful lies, here's some of them, that, by the way, are represented well in church people. 
And some of these are going to sound reasonable to you. As long as it comes from a place of love, it's okay. Love makes everything legitimate. It's the love card. It's the ultimate trump card. But I love, right? Now, you're going to think I'm making this story up, and I'm not telling a particular story, but I've heard it more times than I'd like to remember. And if you think I'm lying, ask an elder. The woman comes and she says, I've grown close to this man. He's a spiritual man. He's close to God. And when I am around him, he makes me feel close to God. And he leads me to a more spiritual place. And I'm stronger and he's a good leader. It's just that my husband isn't. But if this other guy makes me closer to God... He's a better leader of the home. He's more biblical in his leadership than my husband is. Isn't that enough? Church, there's a verse. No, many verses that tell you clearly that's not true. But she loves him. He loves God. And the world would look at us and what kind of a heel would say that's not good? If it makes me happy and it doesn't hurt anyone, it's right, at least for me. Like the son arguing with his parents. He's been in and out of of drug rehabs and he's finally decided drinking ain't no big deal and I can get drunk as long as I don't drive and hurt anybody else. What does it matter? All those scriptures, you know, where they list drunkenness, they're all in passages of paganism and idolatry. As long Those people got drunk in a sort of worship service of false gods and that's what he's against. He's not really against me and just desiring and liking alcohol dumbest argument I've ever heard but it's coming it's coming and it's it's resonating with people because it lets them do what they want to do and who's to say I mean after all he's in a privacy of his own home he's getting drunk all he's want to and he doesn't hurt anybody it's okay right if I stay true to myself I'm being true to myself. I'm an individual with integrity made by God. He made me this way. And so if I act on this thing that I'm created in and created with, then I'm being true to myself and authentic. But, but what does Jesus say? If you're going to follow me, take up your cross. D, 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 help me. Deny. You know what deny means? You've got to look in a mirror, and you've got to look in your, you got to point a finger to what you see in the mirror, and you've got to say, what? If I'm denying myself, I've got to look in a mirror, and I've got to say, no. I've got to say no. There are certain things, y'all, maybe you are create, maybe you have certain desires, have certain things that you just so inborn, they're natural to you, very well might be. I, I'm not going to argue that, but I'm going to say to you, though, that when you become a believer, when you choose to enter the kingdom, it's the king's way or the highway, and he says to you, he says to you, if you're going to pursue me, and even before you ever get baptized, listen very carefully. If you are going to come follow me, you will have to look at yourself and say, No, sir, that doesn't happen here. That's what deny myself means. You see, when Jesus in the garden, you remember that? This is what I want. 
but I know what I'm here for, so I'm telling myself no. And that's the pattern for the Christian life. That doesn't sell well. That doesn't sell well and doesn't get me on the you know, New York Times bestseller list, but that's what, the, the, listen, don't, 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 don't miss out on clear teaching of Scripture by mudding it up with things that just sound so close, but aren't. There are others, I'm going to skip those, but even if you know the truth well, even if you've memorized Scripture and you've gone to church all your life, some of these lies and some of these false doctrines are so very compelling to us that if we're not careful, we'll adopt them. We'll live by them and find ourselves living a lie. Satan loves to put his lies up against God's truth. And if he can get you to choose some of them, he'll distract you and lead you somewhere else. There, there's another distraction once you look at verse 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. I love this. The word train is the word gymnazo, gymna, gymnasium. It's, it's where you go to really, really train yourself and sweat and resistance and challenge and all that stuff, right? You've got, he says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training... That's gymnazo too, but it's a noun. Is of some value. There is some value to bodily training. Godliness has value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. Your physical existence has significance. Give attention to it. But your spiritual training is more important. Your spiritual self is more important than your physical. Yes, go to trim gym for an hour, but spend three hours in God's gym. Yes, 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 walk, go to the treadmill and exert yourself for an hour, but spend some hours training that spirit too. Because that is the most important of those two. That is more important than the physical. So why would he say that? And why would he pit these two things together? Because one of them is pretty self-evident in the world. Everybody knows the value of physical things and body things. Everybody knows it. It's stuff that you can see and it's unquestionable. What's hard to keep in your mind is my spiritual training is even more important. Keeping that in your head and realizing that is significant. So he says of bodily training... I'm saying this while watching, while looking at Bridget Coates, who I see every Monday and Tuesday at workout anytime, right? Some value. This word some means little or small. There's a little value in working out physically like that. There is value, but it's little spiritually. Spiritually, Godliness has value in every way. It filters through every aspect of your life. It, it, ben, it benefits every relationship in your life. I don't know that working out benefits every relationship in your life, but I can tell you this, spiritually working out, making you a better person, a Christ-like person, blesses every relationship you have. Not only that, but he says, and don't say it's so you can get to heaven. I mean, I do want to get to heaven, and I hope you do too. But he says, that's not what he said. He says, it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. I go to youth rallies and 
I'll hear them say, hey, y'all, want to get to heaven? You need to live this way. And I'm thinking, heaven to them is a million years from now. Now, it needs to be something. We need to nurture that. We need to, we need to cause them to think about that and cultivate that in them. But, but listen, our spirit, what we do here is for this week. It's for this week. It's for our young people tomorrow. It's for tomorrow. It's for our college people tonight. This stuff that we're doing is not just to get to heaven by and by. This is to live this life the best way we can. It is to to give them guidance and to give them direction. And so much of the world is so physical. And we look at it and we think that's the important thing. We, We would rather go chase the physical stuff. And we have no problem believing that because everybody else believes that too. And Paul is saying to Timothy, but keep in mind and keep in the mind of your hearers, the spiritual is even more important. We think whatever, well, I mean, we're sold this bill of goods all the time and we're buying it. Whatever makes the body look good or feel good is what we should pursue with abandon. What the body feels justifies whatever you do with it. And Paul says that's not true. There's a higher order for you than that. It's the spiritual mind. The spiritual training trumps the body. Is that true? Oh, one amen. And therein lies the illustration. It's a hard sell. The body wants this. The spirit says, not now. The body thinks, oh, this would be really cool. And the spirit says, no, that's not good for you. It leads you somewhere bad. The body demands this and imagines how pleasant this would be. And the spirit vetoes it and says, I've got a better alternative. When there's a clash between what the body wants and the body is demanding and where the spirit is trying to lead you, where should you go? Keep in step with the spirit, right? It's very challenging Listen, to keep your eyes on the, to, to keep the eye of your brain, to keep your brain settled on the spiritual superiority of things, we classically know this is difficult. And we must keep it in mind because there are many people who so pursue the physical that it costs them the spiritual. Is that right? There's so many people who pursue the body stuff and sabotage the entire spiritual existence. And Paul says, to Timothy, don't let people do that. There's one other warning I want to give you. Now, I want you to know this verse 12. The only sermon I ever preached at Valley View before I actually became the preacher here was this one from chapter, ver, ver, chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you because of how young you are, Timothy, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Timothy, uh, keep in mind something. Keep in mind that you do not determine what you'll preach based on the response you're going to get from your hearers. You're a young person, and I want you preaching this truth, and there's going to be some people who just look at you and like, what do you know? And they're going to shrug you off. And he says, don't, on the basis of that, change what you're going to say. Don't choose what you'll say based on how you know it will be received. We can't do this as a church. Many people do this in different places because it's like tickling ears, right? Now, if you see at the beginning of chapter 4, he explains why this happens. The Spirit clearly says that in a later time, some people are going to depart from the faith. They're going to depart from the truth. If you depart from the truth, where are you going to? If I'm leaving the truth behind, what am I going for? Lies. If you're leaving the truth 
The only direction you can go is in the line. Let me do this in Dr. Seuss. If you're leaving Truthville, where are you going? Liveville. That's the way it goes. This is the way it happens. And so if people depart from the faith, the only thing they can depart from it for is for lies. And many people do. So I can even tell you, Melissa will tell you this, that I'm terrible. I, I, can, I can telegraph for you what I'm thinking on my face. There is very little difference between what's in my brain and what's in, on my face. I'll just tell you this about Slicer Street, for instance, where uh, she corrected me some. I'm not proud of this, okay, so I'm not making this funny. There was this lady who would go forward nearly every Sunday. Uh, and it, I knew what she was going to say. I knew she was coming. It didn't matter what we talked about. I could be preaching on installing elders, and for some reason that strikes a chord. And here she'd come down the aisle, right? I'm not making fun. I'm just saying to you this really happened. And when she started coming, my face told you what I was thinking. And I'd get home, and Melissa would say, we're eating roast, and she'd say, you're going to have to do something about your face. She says, do you realize when she starts down the aisle, you're doing this? Right? Okay, it's a little obvious that you're frustrated about this. And everybody can see it, and that's terrible. You need to fake it. You need to lie. You need to do whatever you need to do to mask this, right? Can I tell you there are times I'll preach things, and I can tell that believers, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about believers don't buy it. And I know enough about our young people. I know, I know that in college and even high school, sexually active or they're trying things. And I know that that's a truth. I know that's a truth even among church young people. And, and, and I'll preach something about, you know, we shouldn't have sex before marriage. You should save it for marriage. And I know the world frowns at that. I understand that. But there's an awful lot of time where God's own people frown on that. They're looking at me like, do you really think, do you really think we're going to wait I don't care whether you wait or not. That's the truth. Now, I don't mean to say it that way. I do care. I do care about that. What I'm saying is how you're going to receive this has zero effect for what I'm going to say. Because this is the truth. And you can shrug, and the world can despise. The world can roll their eyes. They can shrug at us. They can even turn around and talk bad about us. And they can even charge us with hate speech. They can do whatever they want to. That's all that the world can do. But that can do nothing about what we preach. Nothing. We must be faithful to it. Because here's the deal. If we win people to the church, but the church is not sticking to the truth, we ain't saving nobody. You've got to watch your life and your doctrine closely because what you believe matters. It matters. And the most important thing is making sure that what we have in our head is what God has told us, that it syncs with each other. That we take God's word and we download it into our brain and that's what guides us, our doctrine. Next week, next time we're going to get together and talk about watching our life closely and our behavior. But right now what I'm trying to say is keep, 
an eye on your brain. Make sure that what you put in there is really true with God. Stick with God's truth. Avoid the lies that sound so enticing. Major on the spiritual. Yes, the body's important, and what we do, we need to be engaged in the world, but listen, the spiritual is the most important. And then, and then, submit to that truth no matter how weird it makes you look to the people around you or how they respond to you. If you do this, you'll be saved. If you do this, you might be able to save your hearers. And that is the entire purpose of our lives. If anybody needs to respond this morning, this is the time to do so. Getting your life right with God or with each other. And this is the time. Confess Jesus as Lord and be immersed or confess your sin to be forgiven If there's some reason you need to do that publicly, whatever is the need, make it known as we stand and as we sing.